This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 276 of the Stacey West podcast. My name is Gary, I am one of your regular hosts and today I am joined as always by one of our irregular pundits, it is Chris Lamming, how are you doing? Hello, I'm alright, in terms of Lincoln City, very happy in terms of uh, my the rest of my Sunday morning, not quite so happy today I'm afraid. We, uh... you, were, you weren't the Sunday League pep, you were more like the Sunday League Steve Tilson I understand this morning. Uh, the Sunday League Steve Tilson who had to play in goal. Yeah, again, that's four games in a row I've played now. Um, but we sadly lost to a last-minute winner after being 3-1 up. Uh, disappointing. Disappointing. Difficult to get over that, I have to admit. But it is what it is. It's probably How a you? good job. That... Yeah, I'm good. Uh, well, I, I say I'm good. I'm not. I've, I've been miserable as hell for the past um, couple of hours. I didn't sleep particularly well last night. Um, and I had a moment uh the other the other day uh not last night the night before where i woke up in the night convinced that my wife was laid next to me so i've rolled over and as i've rolled over the bedroom doors crept open and somebody's walked in and i was convinced she was next to me because i could i could hear snoring and it was the dog <laughs> i thought it was feet i just briefly i'm like you know what one of those moments where you think what the hell is happening here um what is going on here so yeah um, but i went out for a nice meal last night uh, we always like to talk about food. So I went to the Black Horse at Donington on Bain. It was empty. There was two drinkers in. Nobody else was eating and thought, oh, God, this is going to be rubbish. I'd been in the Ivy Club before and, you know, Jem, uh, Jem was in. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you know Jem. People listening at home are going to go, who's Jem? Oh, well, he's somebody that we know. And he said, oh, we had a bad meal there. Don't have chips. They're anemic. They're full of fat. And I, when we walked in, it was cold in the pub as well in the Black Horse. And I'm like, this is going to be bad. But, um, yeah. I had a burger and chips and a vanilla cheesecake and a brie brulee for starter. Oh, mm. do you know what? Thinking about it now is cheering me up a little bit. Oh, good. That's good. Yeah. But I pulled, uh, I've got a little hamstring, a little tight hamstring, so I couldn't get out for a run today. And that's hacked me off because um, I was determined to go out and do 10K today after you laid down a marker yesterday morning. I did. Yeah, I was delighted yesterday. I so I, I I set out to, to do 6K. Um, I kind of trying to gradually build it up a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Got to, well, the plan was to do 3K, have a walk, and then have another 3K home. And I did three. I was like, oh, all right, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry on here. Ended up doing five before I said to myself, right, I will, I'll allow myself to have a walk at five. Got there, felt okay, carried on. Got to six. Got back to my house at seven. I thought, I'm not feeling awful here. Let's let's try and get to eight. And ended up, once I got to eight, thinking, well, you might as well do 10 now and, and get it over and done with. and and. Yeah, I genuinely never ran 10K before in my life um, without stopping. So I was delighted. And as I ran past the corn dolly once, I briefly just saw you and your dad out the corner of my eye. So when I came it back... It me in know, a really bad light it? now. <laughs> no, because no, well, I was meant to meet you for breakfast and then I, I decided to go for a run instead. That was very, very good of me, very disciplined. Um, yeah. But then I took great pleasure. And it wasn't showing off. I just wanted to share some good news. I was yeah, genuinely I proud it, yeah. of myself. Um, so I popped in and I was doing my cool down on the way back around, just a walk around 
popped in, you were still there um, to share the good news that I'd done. I'd actually done 10K for the first time without stopping, um, which means in terms of like, because in my head, it was a case of all I want to do is finish it genuinely because I've never yeah. done it before. And I know you meant to build up gradually, 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 et cetera. But as long as I knew in my head I could do it, I'll be all right. And the fact that I yeah, did it yesterday made me think, oh, brilliant. Right now, that's in the bag now. I know if I absolutely had to, worst case scenario, I can get round by dragging myself around. Now it's just a case of making it more comfortable. So, yeah, I was absolutely delighted, I have to say. And it was quite unexpected. So, yes, that happened yesterday. And it was a good time as well because you did it in, I think, just literally seconds over an hour. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the first one I ever did uh, was about an hour and eight minutes, I think. So it's impressive um, for that. So that's going well. Um, Ben's not on with us today, but just a word on Ben. I mean, I saw him in the fan zone yesterday and he is looking sleek. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, he's, he's so well. I think we've all, we're all at different stages of the, of the challenge. I'm the so-called runner. Um, but I'm, I'm going to now play myself, Danny. I've still got the metal rods in my back and I still find running difficult. You're kind of, when I say fit, I don't mean, you know, in that way, but you're you're kind of fit, but haven't had, haven't done the running as such. You know, you could mm -hmm. go and play 90 minutes of football. But I think Ben's in, was in a position where he was really quite, quite down on himself in terms of the position he had got himself in with his fitness. Um, and so I think to see him looking, I mean, I think he said he'd lost a stone since Christmas. Yeah, I hope he doesn't mind brilliant. me saying that. And you could see it. He just looked healthier and looked better. Um, and and obviously, Charlie, we haven't had a catch up with, but you know, being blind is not going to help him um, massively with the with the running as well. So we're all at different stages. And um, for those of you who are listening, we are doing it for uh, we're running for Lincoln City Foundation. So we are available um, for sponsorship, not in a traditional way. We won't be wearing your names on our tops, but we will be wearing the names of a local company who have very kindly donated some running tops and, and hoodies to us, um, which is Fox Electrical slash Bailgate Clothing, Stu Fox, Marl Beaumont have been brilliant with us. Um, and we're hoping to get some of those running tops on sale. And if we can, maybe before the 10K um, so that we can raise a little bit of extra money for the foundation. But you can sponsor us if you wish. The target is £400, which is kind of, you know, £100 per head is what we're aiming for. We're already at 330 which is phenomenally generous. So that's just giving. Um, I think it's called the Stacey West's 10K Journey, but you can find links on um, the Stacey West site as well. So we would appreciate, when I say we would appreciate, the foundation will obviously appreciate any help that you can give us and we'll be giving regular updates. The one thing I am going to say before we talk about football is that the race, I believe, is eight weeks today. Um, and between then and now, I've got a 10-day honeymoon in Mauritius uh, where there's not going to be a lot of training and then a, a two or two-day stag weekend in Birmingham as well so which I know well, that is literally pretty... literally the weekend before the, the week before well. yeah I know and I'm just I'm just thinking Jesus Christ because I, I come back from my um, honeymoon and then I think there's it's Easter weekend and then it's the stag weekend I'm looking at it thinking wow that's going to be a real challenge so but mm. I haven't, even though I drank yesterday, I didn't smoke cigars. So I haven't had any cigars since New Year's Eve, which is good. But I'll yeah, be honest, Chris, at five o'clock yesterday afternoon, I could have lit up a cigar, kicked back in whatever the big stand is called. It'll always be the co-op stand for me. Um, but I would have, could have kicked back in that stand, spoke to cigar and uh, toasted a plan. I love it when a plan comes together, <laughs> Hannibal style. Because we picked up our third win in four, um, 10 points from 12, seven games unbeaten. And I don't think we were ever really in any trouble at all yesterday from the first minute to the last. But we shall still spend the next 40 minutes telling you about how we weren't in any trouble from the first minute to the last. And as always, we'll start with team selection. And I am going to stop saying how nice it is when the team's announced, wondering who's going to play where with no injuries, because yet again, a surprise omission in Rico Hackett. Yes, I was really disappointed because Rico has been superb in the last few weeks. He's kind of been, along with Ted, probably the key that's unlocked a lot of the opposition, that's got us over the line in, in a lot of the games. He had that potential to kind of create something out of nothing and to do something himself. Uh, you know, we've got a real good team ethic in our team, but there's, there's not a huge number of players that... Um, that really have that kind of a bit of spark that can create something out of nothing. But Rico is 
is one of those. And I think he'd been really good recently. So it was a real, real shame for him to miss out. And it was unexpected, of course, because it wasn't mentioned in the presser, like like um, Freddie, who was the other one that was missing out, was mentioned. Um, so, yeah, it was disappointing. It did give, of course, Dylan Duffy a chance to to come in. We've got a like-for-like like replacement in terms of position. Um, I think kind of Dylan Duffy has got the attributes to be as pretty much as, as effective as Rico in the long term. But I don't. I just don't feel he's, he's quite he's quite as rounded just yet. But that's fine. He's, he's obviously yeah. four or five years younger. That's expected. Um, but he gave him the opportunity to start. And um, the first time we started for a little while, I think it's only maybe his second start since he scored against Cambridge. I could be wrong with that. Um, but he hasn't had the opportunity to start recently at all. So it gave him an opportunity. But yeah, it was definitely a big omission for Rico. And the other one, of course, was was Freddie Draper, which Michael Scubala mentioned. Um, in his pre, his pre, I say pre-season, then his pre-match press conference, he mentioned that that Freddie was going to be missing this one after picking up a knock on Tuesday night. So we kind of already were prepared for that. It gave us the opportunity to start with Ben House and Joe Taylor up top, so it's still a really good front two. It just limits those um, kind of options off the bench in terms of that forward line. And of course, there was Jacko missing as well from his broken nose, which I think. You know, realistically, that's probably going to be a few more weeks yet. But yeah, I think for me, the, the big one that has the biggest impact on us right now was was Rico. Uh, Duffy, just looking through, he actually started against Reading and I think came off at half time um, by the looks of things. But he, he has been a bit part player. I mean, just to touch on him, I actually thought he had a decent first half. Uh, and what I like about Dylan Duffy, I mean, he's 21. So when, we, when we're talking about him, he's not kind of a, a child. Yeah, but he's he's not as far along in his development as let's say um I think 21-year-old Sean Rowan. When you think of them as the same age, I've kind of got Sean Rowan at, in my head 25 years old because he's been around for that long. And Dylan Duffy, I've kind of got there. Oh, he's he's 18, 19 year old kid, but actually there's, there's some parity there. Um but I quite like Dylan Duffy. I'm not sure wingback's his best position. I think an out and out winger is probably better. I agree um, that that's his best position. I actually thought with the eye test yesterday, he had a bit of a tough time one-on-one against Dion Rankin. But look, according to the stats, he actually won five out of six of his ground duels, which actually surprised me. Um, I, I, so he dealt with it better than I expected him to. It might have been a bit of a stereotype in my head, thinking, oh, Dylan's not as competent defensively, so you're kind of looking out for it. Um, but actually, statistically-wise, he only actually lost out on one of those ground duels in the whole in the whole um, time he was on the pitch, which was obviously really positive from a defensive perspective. Well, I think he was trying to play a little bit further he was a bit further forward, wasn't he? And I think at times, I think Rankin was almost left up against Rowan rather than Duffy. And I think Rowan did have a tough time with Rankin, again, with the eye test. And that's not criticism of Sean Rowan, by the way, either. But look, let's strip it back. We're eight minutes into the game. Um, myself and Matt had really just been chatting. It had this end of season feel the first the first. I said half. exactly the same thing. I said exactly yeah. the same thing. This looks like two teams that are both mid-table, not going up, not going down. It just felt very end of season. I'm in the middle of February. There's stuff to play for. But it felt like that. I think the reality is it was two reasonably decent sides, reasonably solid sides that were kind of cancelling each other out um, at the time. But I agree that the feel was very end of season, um, certainly for that first half. And it was eight minutes in. I think we were just chatting about all sorts of bits and bobs and there was nothing really going on. Um, And then a long throw into the area. There's what looks like a clash of heads. We've got the ball breaks, Duffy can't get it out and the referee then gives a free kick. And I didn't think anything of it. The free kick, well worked, Duffy Hamilton drives it wide, all all done and forgotten. That moment had gone from my mind completely. And then I watched the highlights and it's a penalty. Yeah, and it's a yeah. it's it, it's a penalty because it's it, it's a worse foul. Well, it has to be a worse foul than than Mitchell on um what's his name at Burton because that wasn't actually that wasn't a, a foul. foul. Yeah. yeah, but it's the same thing. But it's a Sweeney, Ryan Sweeney, who um and I'm going to try and put this in the most delicate manner that I possibly can is shit. Um, came <laughs> steaming into. I mean, he is. It's for me, he looked like it, a liability. Is it, yeah, Pierce, I think it was sorry, Pierce right? Yeah, it's Pierce Sweeney. Yeah, you're, you're correct. Um, but he's awful. Um, he looked unfit. Uh, he is he was to blame for the goal, which I'll come on to. He's gone through the back of O'Connor in the area quite blatantly. He's gone down holding his own head when he's the one that's headbutted O'Connor. And it's, I mean, it's a yellow card and it's a penalty. I mean, I don't know what else we can say about it. It takes a brave ref to give it, I think, early in the game. In that, because yes, I'll be honest. At the time, I saw it, 
saw that the players were down, saw play continue for a moment or two. Um, and then the ref stopped it. And I thought the ref had stopped it because there was a head injury. I thought it was going to be a drop ball. So I was actually surprised that it was even a free kick. I was obviously pleased it was a free kick to us. It's only on looking it back do you really see the significance of it. So I'm assuming, obviously, the referee is closer to it. But in real time, neither you or I felt that it was a penalty at the time. It's only in hindsight that we've been able to look it back and go, oh, hang on, there's something going on there. But it should have been a booking for Sweeney in hindsight, absolutely. Um, which is, of course, relevant not that long later in the first half when he does get a book in. Um, but hey, it's, that's that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, and let's give the refuse to you. I thought he had a good game, actually. Yeah, I agree. Um, and to spot that as a free kick, and I don't know whether the lino did possibly or not, but it as a free kick is fair enough to then start arguing about whether it's in or out the area. You and I didn't even pick it up as a foul. And now we've had the benefit of going back and going, well, that's a penalty. And it's really easy then. And, and, and football Twitter does it all the time. People come on and go, the ref shit, this is that, this is that. They get one look. They get one look in real time to make a decision. It's really easy to come back and criticise. It's like you and I recording this now. We get one go. I get Pierce Sweeney's first name wrong um, in the heat at the moment. We're not going to go back and edit it out. And then somebody listening later on will go, well, it's not. It's it's not Ryan Sweeney. It's Pierce Sweeney. You don't know what you're doing. But here now, we get one go at recording it, don't we? Well, we yeah, don't. We re-recorded the edit because I messed uh, the the intro because I messed it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I'm not sure what else you can talk about in the first half because I think I think every opportunity we had was a half chance. We we snatched at a shot here. We you know we we snatched at a shot there. That they had one decent effort, I think. Um, but it was there was no shots on target. I don't think, in, in the entire first half of the game. Correct, yeah. No shots on target at all for either side, though we had the better chances. 0.41 XG to 0.13, but still nowhere near um, clear enough opportunities for either team to score a goal or really get near to scoring a goal. Um, 12 crosses in the box for us, five successful, seven and one for them. Um, positional attacks, that's an attack that you build um, that's not a counter-attack and not a set piece. We had 18 with three ending in shots. They had eight with one ending in a shot. We had 10 touches in the box. I mean, most of that probably was set pieces. I have a thought. We had quite a few throw-ins and set pieces early doors. Um, but yeah, not a lot happened. It was interesting because last week against Fleetwood, uh, two weeks ago against Fleetwood, sorry, when we were recording this, we, I think it took us 35 minutes to finish talking about the first half. <laughs> so much happened. Whereas, yeah, the, the first half on Saturday was, on the whole, reasonably uneventful and it's quite funny because my partner Steph came to her first Lincoln game in since the since Wembley um this week with this we do the seat was free next to me so we, we snapped that one up for her to come along to because um, we were out tomorrow last night and uh which is very good by the way Ben um organized the tickets for us to go and see Daniel Sloss at the engine shed so it's very good um but Steph came along I was like hmm probably didn't come along to the most entertaining one there. She goes, yeah, nothing actually happened, did it? <laughs> no, 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 it didn't, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, so, yeah, half-time was a challenge. Um, in terms of thinking, what's going to happen now? You, I, I'll be honest, and I hadn't, Joe, if you listen to this, we'll back, we'll back us up. Both him and, and I said, oh, this game is crying out just for a little bit of composure midfield, because we didn't play a huge amount of football, actually. The, um, we, we went along earlier than I'd like us to, I think. I, I understood why. With the wind in our, it's actually much windier than he realised because with with the wind in our favour, um, and also we were trying to get Joe Taylor in behind, so we we're trying to suck it, suck, suck him on to us, and then and then pick it in behind. But sometimes I, I think we need two or three extra short passes to create more space for them that ball in behind, and it was quite attritional, I think, in the first half. And we both Joe and I said, "Game's crying out for Ted Bishop, just someone that's going to get his foot on the ball, that can look after it, not even necessarily make things happen and be super creative, but just have that little bit more care and attention on the ball." Because we had three workhorses in the centre midfield with Hamilton um, just ahead of McGrandles and Iran, and none of them had bad games. And the question that Joe posed to me is, "Which one would you bring them on for?" I'm like, mm, good question. Not, I don't think you can make that change yet, but I think at some point soon we need to get Ted on. At no point did I feel like we were going to lose the game, but at half time I also couldn't see us going on to win it. Yeah, I think I said something similar in my write-up that it, it was a game that we certainly never deserved to lose, um, but we we didn't look like we were going to win, and that that was certainly summed up the first half. But I don't think it was through a lack of effort and, or mm. through particularly a bad approach. And there was a lot of people around me again were. were getting quite angry. There's one or two very angry people. I'm not seeing in what direction, <clears throat> up, down, left or right, because some of those people listen to the podcast. 
Uh, but everybody who sits near me, if I say one row below me, about four seats to the left, will know exactly who I'm talking about. And he was apoplectic with rage um, at O'Connor, who he despises, at the long balls, at going back to the goalkeeper. But the thing was, I, I could always see our approach. It wasn't, I, re I remember watching, and I'm going back again, I'm, I'm committing a cardinal sin, I'm going back to Mark Kennedy again, but I remember watching Charlton, Lincoln Charlton, nil-nil a couple of seasons, last season, I think it was. And you didn't know what our approach was. Lincoln Cambridge last obviously Lincoln, but against Cambridge last season, you didn't know what the approach was. Here you could always see what we wanted to do. Exeter a team that liked to have the ball. Possession was more or less split split 50-50. Um, when they did have the ball, they weren't able to get into any sort of position to really threaten us seriously. I, I, I thought the first half we were we were all right. And then the whistle went, and I don't know if you heard it because you're a few rows behind me, but a guy booed. I'm like you're booing with six games unbeaten. It's nil-nil. They've not laid a glove on us. And this is a team, by the way, that have been recently in the past month or two, beat Wickham, beat Barnsley, beat Peterborough. You know, they've, they've won. They've been on playoff form. Um, yeah, well, I think if they, the, the points per game they had their last 12 or 13 games leading up to playing us, if that had been continued over a whole season, they'd have got 76 points. So they've been on good, really good form. Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, de they're decent side. And they've got good players. I mean, you're talking Tom Carroll, who's what played Premier League football, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, for Spurs. Um, I mean, Ben Purrington, who plays at fullback, he's a bit of a local boy, actually done good because he was at Plymouth. I think he was at Rotherham when they were promoted to the championship. Uh, he's gone back now to play for, for his hometown club. Um, he's actually friends. He went to school with my um, niece, who, or not my niece, well, that, that's my, my uh, cousin, who, because uh, my, my uncle's a massive Exeter fan. Um, they've got you know, Mo Issa on the bench that people wanted us to sign Jack Aitchison. I think he was a youngster at Celtic who went to Forest Green. You've got Jan Wildshot, who played regular championship football. Rankin, who, who I really like, the boy on loan from Chelsea. They're a good, good side. And they didn't get near us, not really. You know, they didn't look like a team that were on their arse, but they didn't look like a team that were going to particularly cause us any problems. And then for the first 15 minutes of the second half, let's just pick up, first of all, actually, on Pierce Sweeney's foul, because then he obviously was booked. That's what we were going to talk about, wasn't it? And again, it's easy to moan at the referee, but it was quite a crude body check on Duffy. Yeah. Um and he picks up a yellow card for it. We didn't like Sweeney, did we? I mean, I think we've both talked off air and, and kind of said. Not a massive fan. No, I didn't think he was great on the ball. I didn't think he was particularly good in terms of winning his duels either. I mean, even though he was, he was clearly a, a physical centre half, kind of centre half, kind of hybrid fullback, playing right centre back. But um, yeah, I just been unimpressed with him. And, and I thought, well, as soon as he got his yellow, let's just let's just commit, commit him, let's run at him and and put players on him. Um, but yeah, that that particular foul. It, the thing is, though, it was a yellow card, just a yellow card, like it is. And yeah, yeah. you know, we're saying in hindsight. Um, he should have got a book in, in the first you know, early on, and then that would have been his second. But does he then make that challenge if he's on a yellow already? You, know, you, you can never, you can never kind of judge it that way. But that moment definitely was a yellow card, just because Duffy just got the better of him. And yeah, um, I don't think, I don't think he came out particularly smelling of roses yesterday. And like you said, the goal was kind of partly his fault as well. And just to pick up on Pierce Sweeney, there's actually an amusing story about him from 2021 that he he played uh, 200 games for Exeter after moving there. I think he moved from Reading into um, 2016. Five years at Exeter, turned down an extension to his deal, moved to Swindon in June 2021, July 2021, contract cancelled by mutual consent at Swindon and goes back to Exeter. <laughs> I have no idea about that. <laughs> Where he's racked up another 109 appear, uh, league starts for him. So, um, yeah, yeah, not a player I was particularly impressed with. But second half, to be fair, I was relatively impressed for the first 15 minutes. That was their only real spell of the game, I think, yeah. where they looked like they were knocking. I never felt massively threatened, even with that one attack which Jensen put on the ball. Good save, by the way. Um, very Rankin, Rankin causing trouble down our right. He was great. He, he was their only player that I really felt genuinely threatened by. I was really impressed yeah. with him. Um, Dion Rankin, I think, isn't it? And he made yeah. a good choice because he got down to the byline and he didn't just kind of cross it to the far post because they they wasted a few crosses Exeter in the game. Um, but it was a really kind of well-picked out Drag back, kind of, um, yeah, cut back, sorry. It's a good strike as well. It's such a good save and hit the bar. But that was the only real, well, there's a little flurry, wasn't it? But there was only a real two, three minute moment where I thought, oh, they're, they're getting a bit of a foothold here. And then from that moment, we were we were all right. We said at half time that, you know, we know we've got 
more gears. We've been a good half. Everyone's worked hard. You can't criticise effort and work rate, but it just hasn't quite, you know, maybe a little bit lacking of quality. But we know that there's more gears for us to kick on to, so we should be okay. But at the same time, we don't know what Exeter are like. You know, they they could have been saying the same. But apart from that little spell, for it was literally just three or four minutes, wasn't it? It was 15 where they were better than us, but I think yeah. it was only really a three or four minute spell where they really created things. Um, but apart from that, they didn't really have that many more gears to to get into, whereas we we know we that we did, ultimately. Yeah, 52 minutes, Harris kind of didn't get lucky, but he, he, he weaved his way into the area and it was a, a decent enough effort for... Uh, at Jensen, then Aitchison on 57. I think Tom Carroll had a, a half chance um, on the back of that. And that was it. Look, they only had five shots all game, one of them on target. Um, so, they, you know, on that form, actually, we're talking them up. But on that form, they were really poor. But is it that they're really poor or is it that we're really good? I mean, bear in mind um, something that we looked at uh, before the, 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 the recording. We have the best XG against per shot in the division, which means... If you divide the XG against us by shots, we the efforts that are created against us generally over the whole of the season um, are less likely to yield a goal than the efforts created against any other team in the division. That's not by accident. That's by hard work. That's by good organisation in defence. And, and you know, we've conceded 32 goals, which is the fourth fewest. Um, but actually 11 of those have been from headers, which really surprised both of us, which is the second highest number of goals conceded from headers in the division. Lots of those were early season, which we can come on to, but it proves that teams don't create chances against us on the floor with ease at all. So when we're talking about extra only having five shots, only having one on target, uh, cumulative XG through the game of 0.33, which is as... Yeah, you know, it was low. I don't, you know, I don't even know how far you have to go back to find a lower XG against us. Uh, a, a long way, Wigan, when we drew nil with Wigan, was 0.2. So you know, we are organised. Um, we kept a good side at bay and, and that took us to the hour mark. It did, yeah. But just, just kind of on that, it's a story that we've been saying regularly this season, particularly in the last few weeks. Teams like Derby, particularly Peterborough, who at the, of which they've been on a few bad, a bit of a bad run recently. Um Prior to that, were, when we played them, they were the fourth team in the league. They were scoring an average of two goals a game. And we created the better chances and limited them to, to, to very little. And we said the same against X, uh, um, Derby, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's been a theme for quite some time. Um, and it's almost, I think, personally, I've probably started taking it a little bit for granted at times. I think, well, we know we've got that. We know we're good at that. And then you're more critical of the offensive play at times. Whereas actually there's a huge balance there because as soon as you unlock... Um, or kind of un unshackle a little bit, then of course you you're likely then to create to, to leave more space in behind and create and allow the opposition to, to create chances. But what we've actually done under Michael Skubala completely maintained our defensive solidity, yet at the same time, really have managed to kind of un un unlock teams at the other end of the pitch so much more than um, prior to him. And it's just good, isn't it? It's just nice. It's just nice to have that solidity and that kind of. Um, yeah, just that foundation, I support, I suppose, to allow us to, to really kick on. And then, as you mentioned, from 60 minutes, we we did kick on, but pr primarily for, for one reason. Yeah, there was two things that happened within a three-minute spell. And we all know which one uh, changed the game. But you could argue, you could argue that on 60 minutes, we had the double opportunity, their keeper, um, whose name I'm going to have a go at pronouncing because he's on loan from Aston Villa. Um, and I think it is Sinisalo. Yeah, Chris right is nodding. Yeah, so Sinisalo is on loan from Villa, who had a decent game. Um, but again, we'll come on to that in a minute, by the way, from because on loan is something that we've, we've said a couple of times. Um, so he's pulled off a good save from Ben House. Then finally, Ethan Hamilton struck the ball sweetly because he's, he's always lurking. And he's always looking and he's just mishit a couple and it's not a criticism of him. He's going to get another goal or two from range. Forces to save, the crowd get up. I actually went just to a, take a walk to, a, to the toilet at the time. And as I walked past somebody, and it's a, a quote that I've used in my write-up, somebody said, shock, horror, football breaks out at Sinsel Bank because it was excitement. You'd had something at both ends. Theirs had been on like 57 minutes. Three minutes later, we've gone up the other, side, other end. Suddenly, the game broke out. You could argue... That, that moment left Exeter realising that we were now a threat and they now thought, well, do we protect a point? We're not having any joy going forward. 
Or you could argue that three minutes later, Ted Bishop came on and Ted Bishop in the form he's in at the moment um, is a game changer for any team, uh, any any setup of Lincoln City's uh, at all. You said it was for one reason. Shock the viewers slash listeners with which reason it was. Well, it's Ted Bishop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was absolutely outstanding. If he was on for, if he came on at half time, for example, maybe on, on, on 50 minutes or so, he's, he's a man of a match for me. I, I was, I'd have still given him it anyway, um, even though he played, he played half an hour. I thought he had that much of an impact on the game. Now, you can argue he only had that amount of impact on the game because the three players in midfield before he came on had done such a good job um, kind of marshalling it. Um, but Ted's been great at that off ball stuff. Um, recently as well, but what he showed yesterday, because Michael Scribola, whenever St. Ted has been given praise by Michael Horton, for example, um, he's always said, oh yeah, we know Ted's great on the ball, but I've been really impressed with his off-ball stuff. Um, but it was his on-ball particularly that won us the game, I think, because as soon as Ted came on, things just happened. We just seemed a bit, a lot more calm in possession. We had to just have that little bit more sustained possession. The pressure stayed higher and extra had to be forced deeper. And then it was, so it was interesting. There's, there's a stat called um, Smart Passes. So Smart Passes is, I'll, I'll read out the gloss, the gl- I wrote this down word for word from the glossary on Scout. So a smart pass is a creative and penetrative pass that attempts to break the opposition's defensive line to gain an advantage in attack. So it's a pass that is attempted to break a defensive line. Um, from either team, there wasn't a single penetrative, not penetrative pass, sorry, there wasn't a single smart pass attempted in the whole game up until the point that Ted Bishop came on. When Ted Bishop came on, um, between that point and the full-time whistle, there were three, two were successful, one resulted in a goal. Exeter didn't do a single one in the whole game, by the way. There you go. At the moment, Ted Bishop on the Stacey West Raider is the man of the match. So whilst we would say that's probably harsh on Conor McGrandles, who was my man of the match, Ben House, who was, I think, Gavin Gordon's man of the match, Mine Pordy, Street. by the way. Pordy, who's... Yeah. If it wasn't Ted, it was Pordy for me. Well, we're actually doing quite well there, though, because Pordy's on 7.7. Uh, Conor McGrandles is on 7.4, and I do think there's a little bias still there that people are not marking Conor quite as high because he left us before. <laughs> you tend to see these trends. Ethan Arahan, 7.5, thought he had a good game. Ben House, 7.8. Ted Bishop, 8.3. And the, the players bef- uh, after that, oh, Jensen, Lucas Jensen's on 7.6. And to be fair, he's only had one save to make, but he's made it. So, <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that was a big save because that, that goes, that's 1 0. Yeah, maybe we get back into it and get it to 1 0. We're not scoring two goals in that game yesterday. Um, but we, we no, there was one game, one goal in it, and we and we got it. And partly that was down to Jensen. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting on these big performances because, you no, know, Arahan, I thought, was, was again, probably someone I take for granted, thought it was solid got yeah. given man of the match in the stadium and then looked at his stats. 100% tackle success, three out of three. 100% ground dual success, five out of five. Um, 72% back passing accuracy, but 60% of that was long balls um, that were accurate, which which is actually quite high for a long ball, which brings his overall passing accuracies down. But his defensive work was, well, he didn't he didn't lose a battle <laughs> physically in the whole game. He won every tackle and every duel he had. So, you know, can't argue with that. And then Pordy, seven touches in the box for a centre-back. Um, four passes into the final third, 100% tackle success, 100% ground dual success, and he won 60% of his headers overall. I reckon if you were to look at what was his aerial success from a defensive header, I think I genuinely think it was 100. I don't think he lost a header in our defensive third. So for me, I thought Paulie just had, had, I think it was Sonny Cox the majority of the game in his back pocket. And just He just, he won everything against him. Um, but it was also a threat in the opposition half as well. Um, so there were just some really good performances, but I think what those good performances allowed was for then Ted to go and do what he does best. It gave them the, the foundation for Ted to then go and create things for us. Before we talk about the goal, we're just discussing uh, the, the, the key players, the players that, that we feel had the best performances. So we're talking Pordy O'Connor, and you're quite right. I've just pulled up the map of his headers. Uh, and he made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight defensive headers, uh, nine defensive headers, and they were all successful. So all of his failed headers were in the box. And I would say that a majority of those came from 
corners or set pieces um, when he was up against the centre-half. So he was excellent. So we've got Pordy, we're talking about him, possible man of the match. Ethan Arahan, we're talking about him, possible man of the match. Ben House, we're talking about. Ted Bishop, we're talking about. Mentioned Lucas Jensen, mentioned Ethan Arahan. You're talking about six, seven players there, all on the field, all who could have been man of the match. And what is the key thing that binds every single one of those together? They're all our players. They're all our players. And when we're talking about Exeter, we're talking about their top players yesterday with uh, Dion Franklin Dion on loan. The boy Harris in midfield had a decent game on loan. The keeper on loan. Now, I'm not criticising that because we've been there and we have players on loan, by the way. Mitchell and McGrandles both could have been a shout, you know, outside shouts maybe. Certainly McGrandles from Man of the Match. I thought he was excellent yesterday. They are on loan, but we're not reliant. Next season when we kick off, not only are those players that we've just talked about our players, I think there's only one of those that's out of contract in the summer, all being Ted, who is the player that everybody is screaming about at the moment, to be fair. I mean, it's just, you know, so that, that's harsh, but I think that that's, um, I think that that's massive. Another player on loan who finally, finally gets what's been coming to him is Joe Taylor. Now, I think Joe Taylor had a good game yesterday. I think he had the sort of game that it's hard for some supporters to see what he did because he does a lot of running a lot of challenging quite often it didn't quite break for him he wasn't quite on the same wavelength when a pass came in it was it was tough for him but i thought he took his goal really well i'm blaming sweeney in part for the goal because as ball come forward he's gone to clear it under pressure from ben house he sliced it to ted um but he's a beautiful run from joe a lovely little ball from ted you might call it a smart pass potentially uh, <laughs> and you I saw joe one on one and I'm thinking Derby, and I'm thinking that he, there was another one-on-one he missed. You're thinking, oh, no, don't miss this, Joe, don't miss this. And he was cool as a cucumber, wasn't he? It was a delicious little finish. Yeah, brilliant finish. It's actually the finish he struck, because he had a, had a few chances against Derby. And there was the one, it's not a, probably a similar position, and he just he tried the same sort of finish, a little kind of lifted ball across the opposite side where the keeper's diving. And in the Derby game, um, Josh Fishers made a great save, um, which maybe took a bit of the shine off how good a chance it was or how good a shot it was but this time he, it was just yeah brilliant finish absolutely brilliant finish and at that point I genuinely did not for a second did I worry about us not winning that game genuinely no. uh oh we're good now that's good let's all go home <laughs> basically yeah. at that point um yeah I thought it was great and, and Joe's an interesting player because it's, it's unlike Ben House who is definitely involved in build-up definitely um, obviously superb at even winning the ball he dispossessed there um, centre-backs two or three times as well, particularly in the first half, which is just something that Ben's great at. Um, but that's a bit of an anomaly. You don't get that very often um, from a centre-forward. But Ben is definitely involved in build-up a lot more. Whereas Joe Taylor's skill set probably doesn't allow him to be a huge player in build-up. What he does is he makes really clever runs. He, he's on the shoulder of a defender, so he's he's creating space for his teammates. Um, and he is the one that needs to be on the end of things um, to finish them off. And... I think when we're not creating those balls that cross the box or those kind of three balls for him to run on to, you can, I can understand why some people are thinking, well, what does he do? Um, but he does a hell of a lot of stuff off, off the ball. Um, not even when, when like, not even from like a defensive perspective, which he does do. He, he presses really well. He's really intelligent with his, with his angles of his run. Um, but actually just even in possession, you know, it's rare that he comes short and it's the only when that's the only option he comes short and he's probably not the best at that. But what he's great at is it's running channels. And, and making clever runs in behind. And whether he gets it or not, he's occupying defenders or creating space for a teammate. And then we watch the ball. So you watch where the ball goes, you watch the ball go to his teammate. But often it's created because he's made a clever run, which has created the space for the for the ball to go in there. So yeah, all those little things are great. And there's probably, if we're honest though, if we overanalyzed some other lone strikers over the last season or two that didn't manage to get on the score sheet too often, then maybe you'll see those little bits more so than, than maybe we've given the credit for. But you're leading Joe, to my oh, go on. I what Joe Teller needs. Leading to my question. You're leading <laughs> to my next question. <laughs> Does Jack Vale do the same in a two alongside Ben House? Well, who knows? Who knows? Um <laughs> personally I don't think Jack Vale is as explosive as Joe is. Um I think Jack was preferred to come a little bit deeper and get the ball to feet at times. He's probably more similar to Ben House than he is to Joe Taylor in terms of style. Um, not as good definitely from what we saw. Um, but the point I'm making is, you know, it's nice to give the strikers those credits, the credit they deserve for those off those those things that don't always get seen. Um, 
but we're doing it because we saw Joe, we see the, the, the potential in Joe Taylor and thought, oh, but what he needs more than anything was a goal. He gets a goal, I think he goes on and gets, you know, a handful this season, maybe. He just needed that first one to drop. And, you know, particularly after he'd you know, had a few uh, misses recently, you can, as you said, you thought, oh, you know, how, how's he going to do here? But it was, like you say, cool as a cucumber, calm as you like. And that's just going to do in the world of good because he's on the pitch to score goals. There's no denying that. He does those other things well. Um, but he's not really involved in build-up too much. He is there to put the ball in the net, and he did. So that's good. And it was yeah. just doing the world of good. I loved it at the end, by the way, where um, Scoop Wilder made Joe go and do the fist bump with the fans. That was really nice. Yeah, I yeah, I, I agree. Um, you say that we could have packed up and gone home at that point, and more or less that's what happened because the game didn't have an awful lot more for the neutral. It had a Ted Bishop effort on target, which was saved by the keeper, which was... Classic Ted, dare I say, Ted on the form he's in at the moment reminds me an awful lot of the player that he was brought in to replace um, in George Grant, an awful lot. But we did have a moment towards the end where Mr Sweeney was once again under the spotlight. Now, I am not criticising the referee because he gets one look at it in real time. I've looked at the moment back several times as slow motion and all sorts, and I still can't decide whether or not it's a foul. We're talking about Jack Moylan played through by Ted Bishop. Wow, well, there's a surprise. Um, lovely ball. Moylan's done Sweeney for pace, which, to be fair, I could do Sweeney for pace running backwards. I think there's a little tug. I think there's a little dig. I think it's a foul. But, it's a, again, I think it's a brave referee that gives it. Yeah, it was strange around me because around me, everyone went mental. And maybe it's because my partner was there and I was a little bit on best behaviour and <laughs> too shouty and sweary. I didn't even react. I just stayed seated. And I said, really calm. Maybe I wouldn't have been if it was 0-0 or 1-0 down. Um, as I said, I really just didn't. As soon as it was 1-0, I thought, well, we're fine. Like, that's fine. We've won the game. Um, but I also thought, well, that's clearly a foul. Um, so didn't get irate because I thought, well, it's obviously going to be a foul. He's obviously going to get a second yellow. And then nothing happened. So, oh. But by the time nothing happened, I kind of, like, the moment had passed, so I didn't get angry at all. I was like, oh, oh, that's surprising. But yeah, watching it back... Uh, honestly, I don't think I don't think there's enough to make Jack Modern fall over. I actually think Jack has clipped his own heels. I think he's got an arm across him, but I actually think he's he's, he's partly clipped his own heels because he he was sent to the ref. He got clipped, and I think he might have clipped his own heels rather than Sweeney clipping him. Um, but Sweeney definitely has his arm across him. But I don't think the arm's enough to make Jack fall over. Um, and the the but the only kind of question for us in the time in the in the game was, well, why on earth would he fall over? Exactly, because he's one on one with a keeper. Um, so, so that's what makes me think that maybe it, it was a little clip here and there. But hey, it wasn't given, and I think from it's actually I think the rest made a, a decent decision there. I, I do because I don't think it was conclusive, and I think it's it's avoiding a real big, big, big moment which is going to be contentious. And you know, that, again, it didn't have an outcome on the game, so that, that was that was useful, I suppose. But yeah. It's not, as you know, it's not that often I praise refs and I'm pretty critical a lot of the time. So I think when they have a half-decent game, it's worth us putting out. Yeah, they've had a half-decent game there. And there's yeah. two two calls which were challenging. There was that one and then the penalty shout in the first half, which no one in the stadium was shouting for a penalty about. Um, yeah. And I think in the moment, the refs made a, a sensible decision on both of them. So credit where it's due. I think the referee was good. I do. Right, let's go to a quick um, break. It might just be a footballer telling you that he listens to the Stacey West podcast or telling them, telling you that you listen to the Stacey West podcast. And if 42 minutes and 49 seconds into the Stacey West podcast, you don't know you're listening to it, um, I don't think Ethan Arahan telling you that you are is going to help you. Either way, roll, I was going to say roll VT, but VT is video, isn't it? Um, so roll the audio. I'm Tyler Walker and you're listening to the Stacey West podcast. Yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. 
Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the quarter pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Brilliant. We are back again. Um, I think we are probably happy, Mr. Lamming, that we've put Exeter to bed now in terms of discussing it, not in terms of the three points. But it raises a question and it raises a question from Mr. Skubala himself, I think, because on in his press conference pre Exeter City, Michael Skubala um, was asked, where does this kind of what are we aiming for? I think was what he was um, what he was asked. And I think Michael Horton's exact words were the playoffs are a little bit out of reach now. Now it's it's the P word playoff, which I think is really interesting because we're 11 points outside the playoffs. It would take a Hercules, Herculean effort. I think that's right. I can write Herculean. Herculean effort. I th- it's a good job I write and, and don't do uh, lots of broadcasting, isn't it? Um, to, for us to get into the top six. I think that run from through December was, was damaging. If we'd got four more points than we have right now, I would argue the case. However, I think, first of all, we need to keep pushing, said Michael Scabala. You never know what's going to go on in the next few weeks. I think we get to the end of February and see where we are. We need to go out with the same mentality every time and try and go and win it. We need to do that against a very good exit side, which we have. Um, but you see just how well they've climbed the table after a few wins. He then referred to Cheltenham and said, if they can go on a run, why can't we go on a run and try and get some wins and see where we are at the end of February? I think the picture's become clearer from where we're probably set, settled, where we're probably settling. The end of February will have seen us play Shrewsbury, who have not won in four, and Port Vale, who have not won in, well, I know it's at least five. I don't know how much beyond that because I haven't done any deeper research, but looking at the league table, their form is crap. That could be six more points. Realistically, that could leave us, let's say, eight points from the playoffs. We're currently 11. It would leave us with 10 games to play. Eight games, eight points to catch up, 10 games to play. Is it realistic, Chris? And I know the answer to this because we've talked about it off air. Um, but it's worth ch- it's worth talking about because it's been raised in the public domain. It's been raised with Michael Scabala. We don't want to admit that we're not going down and we're not going up. But in reality, we're not going down and we're not going up. But we're more likely to go up than go down. Yeah, it's not impossible. I think it's unlikely. It's improbable. But it's not impossible. And impossible is just form, an opinion. It certainly is, indeed. Um, let's just say we do pick up six points in the next two games. That will be from the games in February. So Charlie and I did the preview um, in our monthly review slash preview at the end of January, looking ahead to February. I said, if we can pick up 12 points, that's 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 realistic for the teams that we're playing against. And that's bearing in mind when we hadn't had a win for ages at that point. Um, we're just on the back of, uh, back-to-back draws, I think, at that point. And, um, but I thought 12 points was realistic, bearing in mind the run we've been on. But in my head, that was, well, that gets us safe then, pretty much. What's actually happened is we've got 10 points from four. We could we could, we could could end February on 16 points out of available 18. The run, albeit the, the opposition we've been playing against, have all been below us in the table in February. It's bloody good form. And there is always one team, always one team, that comes from almost nowhere with a late charge of the playoffs. Are we a little bit too far away for that? I think... You've got the stats realistically because of the stats you're going to share. There's probably a little bit, but you never know because there are teams above us who are not on playoff form in terms of um, the points that they're picking up, particularly teams like Oxford, teams like Peterborough, who would be hilarious if they missed out again, by the way. Um, Stephen, who just start, have, have only won one in five. They've um, lost three of those last five as well. Um, Blackpool have only won one in five. Uh, Leighton Orient are on decent form. But yeah, from fifth down to us, we're the only team that's unbeaten in the last five. Obviously, we're seven unbeaten. 
Uh, I'd say like Oxford, Oxford are as well, but they've um, had four draws and one win. So Oxford have probably picked up a little bit. But the point I'm making is the teams that we're chasing down here or potentially chasing down aren't on great form. So, of course, it's much more difficult to pick up 11 points or close a gap on 11 points when you're chasing the playoffs than it is to pull away with 11 points from the relegation zone because the teams around you are more likely to win more games when you're in the in, in the hunt that we are rather than the, the relegation zone. But it's not as impossible as maybe it felt like it was a month ago. Well, it didn't feel it didn't even feel like a, a conversation worth having a month ago, let's be honest. Um, but where we are now, put ourselves in a really good position, particularly if we win the next two games, to have a real good go. I don't think we will. I'm gonna be honest, I don't think we'll make it. But I'm a Lincoln City fan and I want us to do well, and I'm an optimist at times, and we can. I think I think what why not believe that it's at least a possibility? That's where my head is at. I don't think we will. But we could I I agree with you. I think had we when you look at December and you look at the run of, of games there, we drew with Wigan and Reading. Had we won those two games, then it's seven points, you're still in it. You look at even Northampton and Derby, let's say, even if you draw those and you're nine points, it's realistic. Just those two points feel like they're big. In the last, um, Andy Chapman has emailed me. I'll put I'll put his article that he's written on on the on the site at some point. He believes we can do it, which is the I, I love the optimism of, of football fans. I love the abject pessimism. Um, of some supporters that e like when even when you're top, they'll when we were running away with the division, there'll be those going, yeah, but I remember 2010-11. But then you also get the 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 optimism, and I'm not talking Cornell optimism. I'm not talking like you know you wake up in the morning and everything. Well, I like this optimism. So looking backwards, he's gone back over the last ten years, Andy Chapman, to tell to to, to gather how many points you need to hit the playoffs. The fewest points you need was in 2015-16, where you needed 69 points. At the moment, Oxford are the last playoff team on 56. So you would expect them to get more than 13 points from their remaining 13 games. So they, that would be pretty poor form. Um, in reality, we're probably, I think this season, looking at 76 points as a as, as a playoff um, point total. And that means that Oxford, for instance, in the last 16 games, uh, last 13 games, I'm using them as an example because they're sixth, would need 20 points. 20 from 13, probably realistic. So I think we're looking at 76 points, which means that we actually would need 31 points uh, from 13 games. Now that is a huge ask. And I think when you put it like that, you, you get an idea of the fact it's just out of our reach. Yeah. 10 wins, one draw, two defeats. Okay, so teams that we have left to play who I think that we can beat on our day. Count them on your fingers. Port Vale, one. Stevenage, two. I think we can beat them at home. Shrewsbury yeah, is three. Cambridge United and Bristol Rovers at home, four, five. I'm going to take Oxford away for six. Big win, that'll be. Carlisle away for seven. Reading away for eight. Wigan at home, well, when you're on a roll, nine, Cheltenham away, boo yakasha, there's your ten. And in the middle of that, we've then got Portsmouth at home. They're already promoted, last game of the season. We'll raise our game for that. That's game number 11 we're going to win. Um, so really, I mean, it's only away at Barnsley, and which was the one that I haven't answered. Away at Barnsley, potentially home to Leighton Orient that we're, we're going to drop yeah, points in. They're on good form. But they're on good form um, now. Yeah, it's just, but I'll, they're, gonna... been, they're good. They're a good team, like Norrington, but I'd be surprised if their good form that they've been on recently continues at a level it's at for now. But they're going to be having the same conversations that we're having right now about the players. Yep. That's Good Friday. Good Friday, Easter Monday, Orient at home, Carlisle away. Okay, so that, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games by the time we've finished with Carlisle. If from those 10 games you've won eight, <laughs> let's face it, winning eight takes us back to uh, for winning eight takes us back to beating Fleetwood. So we've only actually won eight since Mark Kennedy left the club. Fleetwood away, Charlton at home, Notts County at home in the cup, Orient away, Cambridge away, and then the last three from four. <laughs> but you've got a dream. And, and I think that's the point. We had that end of season feel to the game yesterday. 
but you've got a dream and we are unbeaten in seven games excuse me that's having played derby having played peterborough having played a charlton side who by the way held bolton i think to a draw yesterday and scored three times past bolton yesterday kind of shows you what you know the strength in our result an exit aside who we've already ascertained are, are doing particularly well dare to dream in it absolutely is yeah i for the reasons that you said i don't think we'll get there no no chance whatsoever <laughs> but like you say we can and i'm willing i'm willing to dream and if if we can get the these another back-to-back win into port vale and into shrewsbury we're going to start. I think we're going to start to talk about this a bit more seriously. Even though the numbers that you've just mentioned will stack up, but if we win those those two games back to back, and Peterborough haven't won again yet, Oxford have, have, have only only drawn one or two. Stevenage continue the run there on. Now these are the teams that are directly above us that we're chasing down. Yeah, you're on about the average points total. They've only to pick up X amount of points, and it makes total sense. But if we have got six more than we've got now, and they've only got one or two, then maybe, well, just maybe. Here's some things then we're talking about before the end of February. So we're saying potentially six points for us. Never happens like that, but we've taken 10 from 12. So let's say six points from us. We're on a roll. Rico will be back. We're clearly looking good. Port Vale are absolutely on their arse. So they are definitely going to beat us on Saturday, but let's assume that they don't. <laughs> Tuesday night, Oxford play Northampton. So that's a tough one. It's a, it's a it's a little bit of a is it a bit of a derby? I don't know. It's all in that kind of middle bit. I don't, I don't know how much how what distance there is between Oxford and Northampton. I'm about to find out. Is it a derby? Um, 47, 47 miles. Well, if Peterborough's a derby for us, which yeah, I think exactly. it kind of it kind of is. Yes. So you've got that. You've got that. Then on Saturday. Who do those teams that we want to lose games play against? Oxford United host Leighton Orient. Well, so one of them's going to drop points then, aren't they? And that one. One of them's going to drop points. Stevenage host Wickham, which not particularly easy. Uh, and who's the other team? Blackpool. Blackpool host Bolton. Hmm. So they're all massive games while we go to Port Vale. We could go to Port Vale and get a point there. All those teams could, in theory, drop points. Um, I know this is, it, it's all ifs and buts and people listening at home, there's going to be somebody listening into this at the moment, screaming at their car stereo or their speaker or whatever. And do you know what? I do not care because on the Tuesday night, the Tuesday when we play Shrewsbury, Leighton Orient hosts Blackpool. So then <laughs> somebody else is going to be <laughs> missing out on points. Do you, do you know what I mean? And hence, I, I imagine, because Marcus Scubala would have looked into all of this. So hence why yeah. he's saying, well, let's wait to the end of February and just see where we are. Because if we are six points better off than we are now, it's impossible for everyone above us to be six points better than they are, better off than where they are right now. Impossible, because they're playing each other. You never know. Then the day that we host Stevenage, which is early in March, Oxford go to Portsmouth. <laughs> oh. Oh, well. Oh. It's time to get carried away now because I, I right. still think we're not going to make it. Yeah. Of course we're not. I can't help but dream. And that's what it's about. You don't want to think your season's over on the 18th of February, dear goodness me. Do you know what? I'm going to go back now to, I think it was the 91 92 season. I think it was 91 92. And your people were talking about Lincoln as potential playoffs, I think, at the time. And we, we hadn't had a fantastic season. We'd struggled for goals at, at, at one point or another in the season. Um, and then we won, I think, well, we did. I'm saying I think. I've got it here. We won seven on the bounce. Scunny away 2-0. Carlisle 1-0. Maidstone 1-0. Chesterfield 5-1. Hereford 3-0. Halifax 4-1. And then beat Blackpool, who were in the automatic promotion spots, 2-0 on the final day. Winning breeds winning. And the confidence flows. I think we looked yesterday at a Lincoln City team that were playing with confidence. And we're talking about the playoffs, okay, it's, it's pie in the sky. But it kind of brings us back around to a serious point that we're seeing a Lincoln City team that are playing the Michael Scabala way. They're not playing the remnants of the Mark Kennedy way anymore because Michael's had 
full weeks on the training ground with them. So realistically, he's had Tuesdays, Wednesdays where he's been doing shape. He's been doing what he will, how he wants them to play. And I think that we're seeing the benefits of that. And I, I seem to recall when my Michael Appleton first came in, when he was given weeks at a time, we used to be able to see the positive effects of what he was doing, particularly in the playoff season. Now, we can laugh and joke all we want about the playoffs. And, you know, it is pie in the sky. And, and in a month's time, we're going to be going, oh, yeah, we were so close. And then in the final league table, do you know what? We might be six points outside and it might look like we were mounting a playoff push when we, we never really were. But it's what it means for the longer term. And it takes us all the way back to that. You know, Exeter's best players, all of Exeter's best players were loaned to them. They won't be with them next season. Whereas, you know, all of our best players, bar arguably McGrandles, because Alex Mitchell had a decent game, but would you have put him in the top four or five? No, McGrandles, you might have done. All of those players are ours. And and most of them are going to be with us next season as well. So I think that that's, that's a sign for positivity, isn't it? Yeah, we've got a real good foundation of the squad. It's something that was, a, I think, the club really tried to push on with initially in the summer. Uh, obviously, I think this season is going to feel a little bit to me about what could have been in regards yeah. to the injuries that we sustained. But also almost ignoring the results on the pitch to an extent in terms of pure squad building, we are really stepping away from that low, like a star loans that like we are peppering the squad with loans where we're, we're using them to fill out the squad and add depth, but there's no player in our squad that's undroppable. That's a loan player. Um, this like Alex Mitchell has been really, really good. Is he undroppable? But he, he got dropped when Porter came back for the first time around. So, so clearly not. Um, but I think Alex is a great player. I'd love to see him back by the way, permanently. Um, which is very, very different from the season that we got in the playoff final, for example, when we had the two players that were particularly Brennan Johnson, but Morgan Rogers as well, that we were absolutely, we would be nowhere near without them. Um, so if we can add to this in the summer, which you imagine the club are already on with, because we we know how, how it works behind the scenes now. Um, anyone that went to the um, fans forum will we'll have got a little bit of a snap snippet into that as well. And hopefully that was really interesting. There's really good, by the way, we haven't mentioned this on here. There was some really, really good reports we put into the fans forum saying it was, yeah, really different to normal and really good, really insightful, which is great. That's what you want to hear and see in it. Um, but ultimately, we've got a real strong foundation of a team here that, that's got the potential to be a top half team as it stands now. And we're going to add to it, I think. And I think we're, the aim is to improve in the summer. Now, we're going to be getting some big roads off the wage bill in the summer. Edelikon's going to go. Um, I imagine there'll be some players that are out of contract that will be leaving that are there's going to be space in the wage. We're not, we're not going to be throwing money around, but there's going to be space for, to, to add to the team. And everyone that's bar Ted and, and Alex Mitchell and, and Colin McGrandall. So what what percentage is that as a team? What, like 70% of the team that started yesterday? Bring Freddie Draper back into that as well as an option. He was definitely going to be ours, of course. 70% of our starting lineup yesterday was our players who are all going to be here next season. That we're going to have a real kind of good, almost just, just like a bit of a head start, I suppose, against a lot of other clubs. Um, and you start the season well because of that, because the other teams are still getting gelling and still kind of trying to find out their best system and, and get their last targets over the line, particularly in August. If you start the season well, and we don't have the misfortune that we had with our big injuries this early season, we've got the real, real strong possibility of having a strong next season. So, yeah, that, that's probably what I'm most excited about is how positive we're looking for the future. But, you know, like I say, we're not going to rock the season in mid-February. There is still something to play for this year. There's an outside, very outside chance that we can do something this season. But even if we don't, which we probably won't, uh, I think I think the future looks bright. And we've been saying that a while, but that initial future that we mentioned, started talking about two or three years ago, that's just starting to come to fruition now. I think we're starting to see the kind of those, the, the buds of those are kind of starting to sprout a little bit, aren't they? And, I'm just really excited about where we are as a club now, because um, you can on on off the pitch that was never in doubt, but on it we're starting to see it, and and those two things seem to be kind of really aligning quite nicely now. For me, Michael Skibola was the last piece of the jigsaw in that in that kind of structure. I have to say, I think he fits like a glove um, for what the club model is. I'm just really positive, and a win helps obviously to kind of go into that, um, but it's just affirming more than anything. I'd say. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think. You look at players like Jay Ben to come back. Um, potentially the boy to come back from Dundalk. I'm just looking. I don't think uh, he started um, for Dundalk, Zach Bradshaw. 
So he's gone over there. He's played in Ireland. Hayden can played. Um, Oshin Gallagher played. You know, Hayden maybe not knocking on the door, but there's an expectation that Oshin is soon going to be in and around the first team. Um, yeah, it is. It, it is positive, and and look, we can laugh and joke, but if you can carry that momentum forward and you can keep a bulk of your team together, you can get that head start. And do you know what we need? We need a kind opening game as well, because actually this campaign, had we not been away at Bolton, but had we been at home to uh, who lost seven nil on the opening day, Port Vale. Port. So had we been at home to Port Vale and we'd got a three nil win and then we've gone on to beat Wickham and Blackpool. And this is under Mark Kennedy, who I think football was, was, was more negative than we're playing now, but we would still have been, top six when we went to the punk festival drew one all bristol rovers and it's those narrow margins as well you talk think about the two goals we conceded late under the new injury time rules that have been forgotten at northampton and bristol rovers if they hadn't gone in we'd only be seven points from the playoffs now and with the run of games coming up that could have been narrowed to two or three points by the second week in march and then you dare to dream don't you and and i think that's a motivator as well you know the, the managers and players always say, oh, we don't look at the league table. That's bollocks. Of course, they look at the league table because if you're going out and you've got nothing to play for up or down, you can see that sometimes in the players' efforts and it might be subconscious. Um, this season, I do think it's not a write-off. I just think it's about the players getting used to Michael Scabala, I think, and then we see where we go next year. So, look, at the beginning of the show, we said we don't know how we're going to fill an hour. What do you know? We've filled an hour. Um, and I don't we, I don't think we've mentioned everything because we haven't mentioned that we've still got the joint second youngest squad in the division, um, playing, playing squad level with Wigan, lower than uh, Peterborough, but still a younger squad than Reading, who are supposedly playing all their youngsters this season. So... Look, uh, my dog is at the door waiting to go out because Fee is beginning to cook lamb for dinner, which I am really looking Ooh, forward nice. to. Yeah, nice roast lamb dinner. And we're going to watch something called Kin, which I haven't seen any of Kin, which is a BBC show that Pete recommended. Irish gangsters. It's got a great cast as well. Um, Littlefinger from um, Game of Thrones. What's his name? Can't remember. I don't know the, I don't know the guy's name, but I know the actor, yeah. He's in it. The King of the North, um, Rance Raider or whatever from um, Mans Raider from Game of Thrones. He's in it. Um, it's got uh, Emmett J. Scanlon, who I really like. He's in uh, quite a few of the um, Harlan Corbin ones. He was in the recent one. Have you seen the Harlan Corbin one? Uh, Fool Me Once or something. Recent I one. haven't. No, I haven't. You'll write all these down, really? by the way. Yeah. Sorry? going to write all these down. Yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're brilliant. They're all brilliant. Um, yeah. So that's anyway, that's us. That's me. So once again, you have been listening to the Stacey West podcast halfway through the show. A footballer told you that in case you'd forgotten. Um, but just at the end, an hour and five minutes in, you've been listening to Gary Hutchinson's dulcet tones and Chris Lemming's fascinating insights. We're going to go away now and plot mathematically how Lincoln could get back into the uh, playoff spots. And then we're going to convince ourselves that it's going to happen until it all comes crashing down next week at Port Vale. I am going to the game. Um, so I'm making a, a, an away trip. So that should be good. So there will be some um, drunken insights rather than fascinating insights next week. Uh, but in the meantime, all that remains to be said is up the imps. Up the imps. Oh, also, two weeks ago when you left me asking to go to the toilet in, by the way. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.